Ticats Audio Network. This is the CFL This Week with Bubba O'Neill. Looking for a leader in the nation's capital. Who are the real beasts of the East? The Rough Riders crossover hopes appear rocky to say the least. And for the first time, we examine the excellence of officiating. These topics and much more are up next as the CFL This Week starts right now on the Ticats Audio Network. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Bubba O'Neill, and I'm joined by three fine fellas on our panel. As the host of Good Morning Hamilton and the fifth quarter, he is the first person in and the first person out at CHML 900. Welcome, Rick Zamprin. Hello, Bubba. He, too, is a morning man in Edmonton and is a Sound of the Elks on 630-CHED. Thanks for joining us, Morley Scott. Hey, hi, guys. And this former player is now a member of the media wing at the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Congratulations. And in addition, he's the lead analyst on the CFL on TSN. Glenn Suter, always a pleasure. Nice to be here. All right, guys, let's get to business. You know what? I'll start with you, Morley. You know what? After a loss to the Lions, the Red Blacks fire Paul LaPolice. Now, Bob Dice is kind of the guy, the interim guy. They're calling him that. And I don't think he's going to be really the long-term solution. We may not know that. But uh, why do you think the move was made right now? Yeah, it's kind of curious to me. Uh, I thought with so few games left, they might make, uh, they might just ride it out. Uh, might be because goodness knows in the East division, you always have a chance if you can get on a run. So maybe they're hoping they get some kind of spark with the coaching change and, and possibly get on some sort of run. Although I don't see that happening. Although they do have a couple of games with Hamilton right at the end of the year. So that's the team they got to catch. And of course they got to worry about Saskatchewan on the other side as well. And, and maybe the Elks, but yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, maybe they also want to get the message out to all those coordinators uh, who are out there and thinking about making a move that, hey, we got an opening here, so uh, remember to get your resume together for when the season ends. So that that's that's kind of my take on it. What do you think, Rick? I think it's twofold. Number one, um, you know, it gives them, you know, an extra month, so to speak, to to eye who the next guy is going to be. Although, you know, they could, they could have done that with Paul Apolise still at his position. I think it also also puts the players on notice to say, listen, this season wasn't good enough. We have to be better. And we're committed to making this change at the top to make this team better. So I think it really puts the some of the spotlight on the players to say, we need, you know, better execution on the field. You know, the effort is there at times, but they're not seeing that in, uh, you know, points on the board or, you know, points defended against uh, defensively. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think this is all part of Sean Burke, the general manager putting his fingerprints or more of his fingerprints on the franchise. So I think giving him a little more lead time uh, to make this decision, uh, I think is why Lapa was let go uh, at this point in time. Glenn, there's some that say that, you know what, it, it really doesn't matter um, what was done to this point mm-hmm. and that, you know, putting a bandaid on it for the last three or four games of the regular season wasn't the answer. Do you agree with that? No, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm actually a little surprised it, took this long to be quite honest based on you know it's a it's a result oriented business the results weren't there over the last couple of years uh you know there's the excuse of the quarterback situation in Ottawa I I really think that's an excuse I mean Paul Apolise is a former colleague and friend of mine so this is this is quite difficult but it's it's just the way of the world I mean it's the way of of pro sports and pro football now I for one do not believe in making a change as long as you're in playoff contention. And when I say contention, I don't mean 
mathematically still involved, I mean, playoff contention, then you don't change your coach, even if you're struggling. But because I've never seen that work. I've never seen, you know, a team completely switch around and change and become that much better because of the coaching change in midseason. But once you're basically eliminated from the playoffs, and let's be honest, Ottawa basically is eliminated, um, you can start building and working on next year. And that's why I'm not surprised by it. I'm not surprised by the timing of it. And they are trying to now get an advantage on the other teams in the East for next season. Guys, it's it's interesting that this – Glenn. I think Glenn brings up a great point of the fact that it wasn't done earlier, Rick. Um, Ottawa seemed to have had their struggles. Was the Masoli injury really sort of the excuse, if you want to use that, to say – to give Lapo maybe some extra time? I think it was certainly a big domino. I mean, any team that loses its franchise quarterback is going to, you know, feel some pain. I'm not sure we expected that much uh, pain and suffering for Red Blacks fans. Uh, you know, let's face it, they, they just have not been good enough here in, in 2022. And I think, you know, that kind of set the wheels in motion to, you know, for a season that really has not gone according to plan. You know, my expectation, I think really a lot, uh, around the league, a lot of people were expecting this team to be, a little better. How much better? You know, there were different ways to measure that. Certainly, I didn't expect them to be a three-win team in 2022, and, and they might stay at that number. Who knows? Um, at the end of the day, they need better players on the fields. They need, you know, a head coach that can make those players play at an optimum level. And when things don't go right, you know, they can right the ship, you know, a week later, not let losing streaks go to three, four, five games which, uh, you know, is going to drop you out of the playoff spot. Um, yeah, whether this coaching change would have been made sooner and we would have seen different results, you know, we're never going to know. I doubt it because the players on the field, you know, whether they were, were going to respond in a positive way to a coaching change, say around Labor Day, maybe even earlier, I don't know. At the end of the day, this team has been in, in an offensive rut for a while now. Um, they've certainly relied on Lewis Ward to, you know, tack on the points here and there. Their defense has been okay at times, but again, just not good enough in all three phases of the game week in and week out. We can see some flashes here and there, but consistently have not been good enough. You know, Morley, I'll come back to you and for the last thought on this one too. And uh, Sean Burke at the beginning of the year, the general manager said, we, we have a high expectation for this club and that we're going to make the playoffs. And, now, he said that in many, many uh, interviews. Was that kind of the, you know, just maybe a dream based on the talent on this team? Well, I think every GM says that, right? we got high expectations for our club going in. I think everybody had certainly higher expectations than three wins for the Ottawa Red Blacks, and it just all fell apart. It started with the Masoli injury, and they they couldn't find a way to recover from it, in my mind, and they just and it just snowballed from there. Um, it it They're just not good enough. I, a lot of people thought they'd be a lot better, uh, so I think in that way they've, they've, they've really underproduced this year, and I think they've realized, Burke's realized, you know, we gotta we got to right the ship, and quickly they got to angry fan base there i believe as well they like the elks haven't won at home in a long time uh their only win at home has been over edmonton in the last two years i believe so mm -hmm. uh yeah they're 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 an angry fan base and i think that you kind of can at least make them a little happier by making changes and, and make sure that they know that you're making changes to try and get better so that's that's my take yeah you know, Morley, you kind of talked about it there. You lead right into it, you know, following that record-breaking 15th loss at home. Uh, there was a great discussion, I thought, on the TSN panel discussing, you know, should 
Elks head coach Chris Jones sort of be happy with the, the status quo and saying that, you know, what we are improving as a football team. And as Milt Stiegel would say, this is just not good enough. So which side do you think Chris Jones is, is, is battling on right now? Well, show me a coach who's who's happy after a loss, and I'll show you a coach who's not uh, committed enough, right? I mean, uh, Chris Jones knows things are improving, but he wants to win football games. He wants to win them now. And uh, I think what's frustrating him more than anything else is the way they're losing now and the way that game went down. You know, they to get into the five-yard line twice in the fourth quarter and come away minus eight in points in that stretch is in, incredible in a game that was there for the taking. I mean, you know, uh, the, the eight points they gave up on the pick six with the with the two-point convert, those are the deciding points in the football game. I mean, they had a chance to increase their lead. They had a chance to to put their foot on the on the gas pedal and, and put the last nail in the coffin. And instead, they couldn't get in from the five-yard line, not once, but twice. They got there, and you know it was it was uh, the pick six. It was uh, not being able to jam it in from two yards in on three attempts. Uh, it just it just the game was there to be won. Uh, and there's been a few games like that this year, and I think it's starting to frustrate the coach a lot because there's probably in his mind been more progress than the standings would show, but they're not getting wins. And as Jones often says to us in uh, in media scrums, it's pro football. It's about winning. It's not mm-hmm. about getting better. There's no consolation prize for coming close. Uh, and and I think that's what's frustrating him more than anything is that fact that they are so close and they feel like they're they're you know for the last month to six weeks they've been a different team. They've been exciting. There's there's been big plays. They they've been doing things the right way, but they're still shooting themselves in the foot every game and doing something that's costing them the game. And I think that's what's frustrating him more than anything else. Glenn, you're with you. these are your boys, actually. I mean, <laughs> uh, are are you with uh, uh, Stiegel saying that they're not good enough, or are you with Ches kind of saying that hey, th- there's signs for uh, to be happy? Yeah, you know, when, when you're building a college program or something, you could have a year like that where you're 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 building and you're progressing. Obviously, you you want to you want to be improving no matter what team you are. I mean, the Bombers want to be improving every day and every week. That's the goal. Uh, but if you're not winning, you are what your record says you are. And it it really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And, you know, there's some things that Coach Jones can sort of, uh, you know, take accountability for. And that would be, you know, all the changes that he has made throughout the season and uh, just trying to find the right combination and the, and the right lineup has, you know, p- probably cost him some games just straight lack of chemistry uh, that is so important in football, especially with O-line and DBs. Those those two position groups have got to play together. They've got to be on the same page. And, and, and with all the changes he made throughout the season, that was very difficult to get to come by. Um, so, yeah, you are what your record says you are. That's, that's the bottom line. Ricky? Yeah, I mean, this, this is a 4-11 and 11 team. Uh, and it's a process, right? Like building a winning football structure in in some cases takes some time. And uh, this is going to take some time. It may not happen next year either. Uh, let's hope they win a home game for the first time in a long time. But, uh, you know, this also, you know, when you have a record like this, and and you're close. It might entice, you know, a key free agent here and there, like we've seen with Terrell Walker to say, you know what, Edmonton's a great football town. Let's go try and win some games with uh, with the Elks. 
um, it might entice the next crop of free agents to look at Edmonton because of, you know, the culture Chris Jones is trying to employ and the success he's had in the past, which obviously goes a long way in attracting guys. But at the end of the day, it is, as I said, a process. And sometimes you are close for many games during a season and many times you're not. And uh, to be happy when you're not, uh, I haven't met a head coach who has ever been happy with a loss. And sometimes they're not happy with a, when they win because of the way they performed on the field. But at the end of the day, it is, as Glenn said, you know, a, a results-oriented business without the wins. That process continues. Sometimes it's slower for some teams compared to others. Morley, what's the, what's the climate right in Edmonton right now with the fan base? Uh, you know, I thought when they brought in Chris Jones, I mean, he was a high-priced guy that has had much success in Saskatchewan, Edmonton, anywhere he's gone, he's gone. Quite honestly, um, it, it, are fans being patient right now? They're su- they're used to such a winning tradition in Edmonton. Um, what's the what's the climate like right now with the Eskimos Nation, if I'll call it that? Yeah, it's 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 a little. They're they're trying to be positive. They're trying to hang in there, but it's been a tough five years for this fan base. Um, I mean, they haven't had a home playoff game since 2015, uh, the year they won the Grey Cup, uh, and they haven't had uh, very many winning seasons in the last three or four either. I mean, and last year they won three games. This year they've they, they've got four now with three games to go. So they're still not going to have a good season. Not going to be anywhere near a 500 team, and not going to make the playoffs. So it, it's, it, they're trying to be patient. I think, I think the educated fan sees the improvement. And, and I mean, for me being around the team, uh, you know, if you compare last year's team to this year's team at the end of last year, uh, uh, you know, with, with uh, uh, a team that, that didn't play very well at all uh, to where they are now about the same record, but I feel a little bit more confident about the team moving forward into next year because I think they have more of the pieces in place that they need. That, and they've added some guys, especially offensively, in the last month. And in, in, uh, Kevin Brown at, at running back, and, and Dylan Mitchell at receiver, and and Christian Salisbury returning the football. Now they've got some pieces in place that ha- that will make them a better team, and already has made them a better team. They just got to learn to win. They got to finish. That's the key word that they've talked about a lot here is, is finish. And they haven't been able to finish a lot of games this year. That that they should have won and could have won. The fan base, I think, to a certain extent understands that, but still they haven't seen a home win in three years, right? It's been 2019, you know, obviously wow. the pandemic year is in there as well, but still it's it's been too long, way too long. And, you know, even on, on Saturday, it's a beautiful day here. It was uh, like 22 degrees, 23 degrees at kickoff, and uh, the sun was shining. There's 24,000, second biggest crowd of the year uh, in attendance. So to that extent, they're there, but – they're they're on the fence right now, very much on the fence, and I think they need to show some improvement to to win a few more fans back over to the right side. Glenn, there may be no more polarizing executive uh, football executive in the CFL than Chris Jones. I mean, it is amazing to me across the nation how many people seem to really like this guy, and some people that have their differences with Chris Jones. Is he the guy to turn this program around, Glenn? I think he can be. You know, and and the the patience approach has worked. It worked in Winnipeg. It worked in Winnipeg with Michael O'Shea. In his first couple of years, the record wasn't there, but he was building the culture. And the one thing that I don't think people know enough about is is Chris Jones and his relationship with the players. They love playing for Chris Jones. They really do. And, you know, he 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 learned a lot of how he approaches the game from Don Matthews, the late Don Matthews. And I played for Don Matthews, and I know that you know, from from the outside and sometimes the way he was in the media or the way 
that he looked from the outside looking in. Um, there was often, you know, some criticism and, you know, judgment that he wasn't the PR guy that they wanted and all that. But in our room, you just absolutely respected and loved playing for Don Matthews. So it, it, I think Chris Jones has a lot of that. And, and that's a, a, a way you can build the culture in a locker room. So the patient's approach has worked in the past. And Morley, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the fan base you know, that the the knowledgeable fan base in Edmonton, and they are knowledgeable there. They've had great winning seasons and great tradition, so they know what that feels like. And if they're patient and give them a chance, but it won't be long into next year. If if they if they go 0 and 3 at home to start the season next year, I, I don't know if Chris Jones. Please, please, no moss, no moss. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Hey, you know what, Ticat fans? It is time to ride on our strength. From now until October 13th, purchase four eligible Hercules passenger or light truck tires to receive a $100 Ticats reward card and be entered to win our road trip sweepstakes. Available at participating Active Green and Ross Ontario locations or visit HerculesTires.com slash AGR rewards. Rick, to you. Simple question. Who are the beasts of the East? Alouettes or the Argonauts as we stand right now? Oh, geez. Do I have to pick one of these two? I guess so. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Well, let's look at some statistics. The Argos are number one in the division. They have one more win than Montreal. The Argos have beaten Montreal in their only head-to-head. I think that was week one or week two, and it was 20 to 19. But Toronto has not beaten a team with a winning record. And Montreal has, they've beaten Winnipeg and they've beaten BC. So to me, and you know, Montreal's won three in a row. The Argos coming off a brutal loss against Calgary. If I'm riding one of these teams to the East final and maybe a great cup berth, it's probably Montreal, to be honest. They've been way more consistent, even in the games they've lost, they've been more consistent than Toronto has. Um, Montreal's defense, I'm a big fan of. They've always had good special teams, and 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 this year it's 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 no exception. And offensively, you know, Trevor Harris can be up and down. He's been more up than down, I think, for the better part of this season. Gina Lewis is just badass. I mean, he he can catch everything thrown his way and scores touchdowns after catching the the football. Right now, I'm I'm on the Montreal bandwagon to to win the East. They're the beast of the East. I think I think they might represent the East in the Grey Cup. Glenn, I, there could be some that say that. Um... Danny Machocha could be in line for maybe a coach of the year candidacy. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, if they keep up uh, the winning and they and they uh, beat the Argos to first place in the division and host the playoff game, and you know, I mean, all of that uh, would would bode well in that regard. But um, you know, I I look, I start with a quarterback position and with these two teams in comparing them because both both have strengths i mean i i love the argos physicality i love how physical they play now with uh shane ray getting hurt uh with went mcmanus getting hurt and we're not sure how severe those injuries are yet um that's a big hit to their defense in a you know huge way those are two key players so um we'll see what happens there they the alouettes get william Stanback. Uh, he's he's close to returning. So that's a big one for them too. Uh, but if you just go at the quarterback position, I give the edge to Montreal. And I do it because 
I, I think McLeod Bethel Thompson is right at that moment where he has got to prove it or they got to move on. I, I, I just, I, I think he has been good enough to a point to really tease people that love the Argos, yeah. but has not gone past that threshold and just won those really tough games to win. I just, I'm still not a believer completely. And, and I think Trevor Harris gives Montreal a better chance. Morley, you, I don't think the uh, Argonauts and uh, Elks have played each other, so, but I'm sure you've seen plenty of them on the tube. Um, your thoughts between these two teams for uh, yeah. top spot in the, in the East? It's funny. I was just thinking last time I was on the show, the same question came up. Who's the best team in the East? At that time, I said, let's be honest, it's whoever finishes fourth in the West. But <laughs> right now, I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't think that's the case anymore. And I, I got to go with Montreal. Um, I, you know, as I said, as you said, the Elks haven't played Toronto yet, but I've seen them play. They didn't look very good in, uh, in the game against Calgary. Uh, Montreal... They just came off a homestand where they won three of four. They go on the road. They win in Edmonton. Their defense is strong. It, it you know, held the Elks to 18 points and scored six points to win the game uh, as well. I, I just think Montreal's got a few more pieces in place playing better right now. Uh, the recent sampling of the two teams leads me to say Montreal. And uh, Trevor Harris, I mean, when he gets hot, He's pretty hard to stop. I know we saw that great performance he had for Edmonton in Montreal in the Eastern Final a couple of years ago. Uh, he was pretty solid on Saturday night. Didn't complete a lot of passes, but he was still up around 80%. And, uh, you know, he can find the tight windows, and he's got a good group of receivers. Um, and I think you got to give the go-ahead and the nod right now to Montreal over Toronto uh, as being the best team in the East, especially when you look at the way they've played in in the recent couple of weeks. And they, and they beat Winnipeg, Bubba. I mean – that's yeah. the top team in the league, and they've they yeah. they can be. They're one of the few teams that can say in the last couple of years we beat Winnipeg, and, and did so. They stood right with them for four quarters in that contest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, and I again, that's uh, the ultimate respect for uh, such a well coached, strong, balanced football team in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with the MOP at quarterback right now, and and they beat them. Rick, can I just flip the coin there on something that Glenn said there about about McLeod Bethel Thompson? Are are you a believer? No, not not wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, if I <laughs> if I need him, if I need him to win a game, maybe you know, if 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 the Argos are going to the Grey Cup, whoever they're facing, I'm thinking, man, McLeod's got to play his best game, and and in each and every each and every of these big games. You know, we get a good first half or we get a good second half. We don't get a complete game when the chips are down week in and week out. As as Glenn said, we get teased. Uh, you know, the, the talent is there. He, you know, the progression's there at some point. He can escape in the pocket when he's being flushed out. Uh, you know, find the guy downfield. And then, you know, a few series later, it's like the Argos haven't moved the ball. They haven't got a first down. Their, their offense is – I mean, it's so frustrating and can be so frustrating, I, I, I would imagine, for an Argos fan because you see the talent there. It just does not materialize, at least for a whole game or, or a few games in a row. And I think that's incredibly frustrating. So I would vote no. I'm not a 100% believer in McLeod Bethel Thompson. Morley, your thoughts on McBeth? 
he puts up numbers, uh, and that, to me, that's the bit of the tease. He puts up numbers, but he doesn't win enough games to make me a, a big believer in him. Uh, I, you know, if you're talking just in the East, if it comes down to Toronto against Ottawa, I'd put my money on Trevor Harris before I put it on on McLeod Bethel Thompson. Uh, you know, but he puts up numbers, and and I think he's got that any given day in him that he can come out and, and put up 400 yards and, and lead a team to a win. But you don't. He doesn't do it on on you know uh, continuously. He doesn't do it uh, on a regular basis. And you have you get a couple of really good games, and you get a couple of games that aren't so good. And then he's back to you know throwing for three hundred plus yards. And I just I just don't think that he's as good as the other quarterbacks, especially in the West. If he gets to the Great Cup, I I, I don't think Toronto's going to have the best quarterback uh, in the game in any playoff game they play this year. Glenn, time to pull at your emotions and your heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, I don't know what happened to the Riders in the fourth quarter in, in this last week's game against the Bombers, but it wasn't good. You know, with games against Hamilton, BC, two versus Calgary, um, are the Bombers, or sorry, the Riders, really? In, could this happen that they will remain stuck on six wins and not even be a crossover team? Uh, no, I, you know, I think that probably the magic number there is two. And if they can win two of those games, they're, they're in. And, uh, you know, the, the next one, this one coming up, as you guys know, is the, the big game. I mean, Hamilton, they can, they can basically decide and eliminate one or the other um, from that, that final spot in the East. So, you know, I, I I think there are enough pieces. I really do. They they are snake bit against Winnipeg. They, there's it's. I think it's become mental. Um, they find ways to to they they stay close for three quarters against the Bombers, and then it, and then it seems like Zach Kalaro says, "Okay, that's enough of this," and then goes to work. And there's two touchdowns before you know it, and it's it's game over. So, you know, I I think that's one they've got to get. They got to exercise that mental demon, but. Beyond that, they get their their old line back intact now. They're getting the receiving core back intact, the, the top to bottom, including Duke Williams returning. Hasn't had a great season, but he's capable of a great game. So that's going to help them. Um, and I, I still think Cody Fajardo can win. I really do. Uh, I think if, he, if he's healthy enough to run and use that part of his game, he's good enough to win. But that offensive line, I mean, it looked like Dan Clark seemed to come back, which obviously is going to help them at that center position. And then it seemed like he seemed to leave injured once again. I mean, uh, there's got to be some question there because it appears to me that when, if his offensive line is not working, I mean, I guess you could say this about any quarterback, mm-hmm. that Cody just can't seem to get the job done. Yeah, I, you know, and I think it's partly play calling. I remember talking years ago to John Huffnagel when he was actually coaching the Calgary Stampeders and their old line had taken some injuries. They, they they had lost three of the five. And I asked him, I said, what's the concern here? And he said, no, you can play call around an old line that's struggling. You just have to call different types of plays and, and go to a different part of his playbook. I always remember that because I've heard many times when we analyze, we all analyze a, a team that's struggling offensively and say, well, their old line is in trouble because of injuries and their quarterback has no time and it's their fault. And then I, I always think of Huffnagel's comment in the back of my mind saying, you can play call around a struggling O-line. Elk, uh, I mean, as, as, as the guy that calls the Elks games there, um, 
like, what are your thoughts about Saskatchewan there? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm conv- I, I thought that they were in line to host a Grey Cup and be a West representative. Um, like, what are your thoughts there? Especially when they started four and one, right? I mean, they, they built themselves a nice cushion that they're pretty happy they, they had in place going into the uh, the backstretch of the season here. But when I watch Saskatchewan, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't know what it is. But whenever I watch Saskatchewan, it's just like something's missing. You're just something's just not right with that team. There's been a lot of noise around that team this year, whether it be you know uh, the suspensions or the the fans getting on the coach, the fans getting on the quarterback, uh, hosting the grid. There's just been a lot of noise around that team, and they haven't seemed to respond to it very well for whatever reason. And and I just every time I watch them, I can't put my finger on it, but it just it just feels like something's missing from that Riders team this year. And I don't think they can recover. Uh, I mean, uh, this game, this week's game, obviously in Hamilton is going to be the key key game uh, for the season for both clubs. And I think if Hamilton wins it, I can see there being no crossover this year. Uh, you know, the Tiger Cats have a couple with Ottawa, right, at the end of the year. So uh, the path is certainly a little bit easier for them moving forward than it is for the Riders. Uh, if they win the game Friday, or is it Friday? Yeah, if they win the game Friday, uh, they're obviously in the driver's seat. But can they can they finish the deal? Can they get to the finish line and stay in that crossover spot? But uh, as I said they just don't look right to me there's just something missing something wrong with that team this year and I don't know if it's it's from the coaching staff or from the players or whatever the mix is it just it just doesn't seem to be right right now Rick it's it's fun because the writers just you know you're questioning their momentum going into this game and you're looking at Hamilton and even though they you know they played that spectacular game-breaking season-breaking game against the against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and I thought they looked really good pretty good in a loss to Montreal in Montreal I feel like they're in a better headspace right now than Saskatchewan players seem to be right now yeah for me when I think of the Rough Riders this year you know the word underachieving comes to mind because I thought they'd be much better than what the record suggests you know mind you they've had some games where they've lost and I thought man they should have won that game you know I think of the two Argos games where I think they could have won both to be honest with you mm-hmm. um they just have not as Morley mentioned something something's amiss in Saskatchewan I'm not exactly sure what it is I think that's maybe you know the the really the big question mark because we all know this team can have a few more wins in that column and can play a lot better but we just don't know uh you know a play here or there that that went different obviously this season could be a lot different but to me I, I thought this team was going to be you know encroaching 10 11 wins you know they have a yeah. lot of talent on the field on all on all sides of the, of the football but it just some something's awry in in Saskatchewan I'm not sure exactly what it is well, hey, gentlemen, you know, the 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 record was excellent. And then they played Ottawa and then and I'm not blaming him completely. And then Garrett Marino's hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli and all that happened since then, that locker room cannot have been together. It just doesn't like we don't know until unless we're actually in it for sure. And the players would only know that. But it just seems to me from the outside looking in, that was the turning point to where the locker room was probably divided. But then, Glenn, I'll, I'll come right back at you. Isn't that not the responsibility, I guess, of the team, but also the head coach to maintain? Because discipline has definitely been an issue with that football team. Yeah, yeah, it has. You know, and that doesn't, you know, guys like Duke Williams, who had his suspension for just silly stuff, just stuff that is is really selfish decisions on the field and the coach is responsible not necessarily um in-house during the year because you have to have the leadership in the room 
where the players will basically self-govern. They're not going to wait for someone uh, you know above them to tell them that taking stupid penalties is going to get you beat. Um, you have to be able to do that in the house. But the, the responsibility on the coach bringing the players in that are going to cross that line too often, everybody might at now and then in their career have that mm-hmm. moment. But if you have a guy who's continually doing it and you keep him in the room the entire time and you don't make a change there, half the locker room, I guarantee you, is saying, why is he still here? He keeps costing us games. And and half of them are saying, we love this guy. He's he's a warrior. You know, so when you have that problem in your locker room, you're in trouble. I, again, you don't know unless you're in it. But since Garrett Marino, that's been a different team. Morley, last one to you on this is that a lot of times in situations like this, especially when you host a Grey Cup and you don't you come up and underperform the way it appears that they have done, um, there's a good examination and evaluation of everyone, players, executives, that someone, and I just keep hearing from a lot of people that the problems are at the top, and I guess that will be general manager. Uh, do you see that? Is that your feeling with this football club? Well, I think leadership comes from the top. And I think that, uh, as Glenn kind of alluded to, they didn't really take a stand as a franchise with Garrett Marino early enough, I don't think. They waited too long and they waited until the backlash was too high. I I, I don't see, uh, you know, someone's someone's probably going to lose their job over this. I I don't know if it'll be the GM or not. It might be the head coach. But I, I can't see them finishing this season the way they did and going into next season with that the same leadership group in the dressing room and the same coaching staff. I think there's going to be some changes in Saskatchewan. It, it might be a quarterback. It might be a coach. It might be a GM. It just might be amongst the leadership of the riders. But if, if they don't make the playoffs, there's, you know, especially after the start they had and then how things went south on them so quickly, I think they'll, they'll obviously be some big changes uh, going in. And, and it's tough. You know, we had that in Edmonton in uh, 2018, uh, didn't make the playoffs in a year. They're hosting the great cup. It's not fun. It's not fun for an organization. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. And I, and I, and I, nobody wants to go through that. And, you know, the riders obviously had big hopes for this season, especially after the start. And now they're just, they're just hanging on by a thread right now. Hey, Rick, the, the Tiger Cats were under that pressure, you know, just last year. Um, and even though their season wasn't as good as the 2019 season, they actually appeared. And certainly some would say suggest that they had their opportunities at winning that game. But I think that sort of helped out the organization in, in sort of an opposite way of thinking for the Tiger Cats. Yeah, they certainly, uh, you know, had their ups and downs last year in, in the in the um, COVID shortened season in, in which they played four fewer games than they usually do. But, you know, I think when the chips were down, especially come playoff time, uh, you know, having back to back two really, you know, intense interdivision playoff games, especially the East final in which their first half was basically a write off. Um, you know, Dane comes in, has a tremendous second half and they go out and, and, and beat the Argos at BMO Field and, you know, took Winnipeg to overtime this time, at least, you know, Tycats fans could take, you know, some solace in the fact that they were a little bit closer than, you know, the year before. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, for, for just just coming back to Saskatchewan, they're on the bye week, I think, after this game. And so really this, in essence, is their great cup before the actual great cup. They don't win this game. I think they're in a world of hurt. And I think the Ticats can, you know, ultimately, you know, grab that final playoff spot. I think a lot of the pressure is on this Saskatchewan team on the road, huge game bye week coming up back to back against Calgary to end the season. Uh, this is it. They, they got to be all in on this one. Folks, before we get to our last juicy topic, because I love mm-hmm. this one so much. 
Uh, listeners, you could win a trip to the Ticats October 29th away game in Ottawa with Journey Rewards. Simply hit ticats.ca slash journey dash rewards to enter to win two tickets on Via Rail, hotel and game tickets, plus a chance at other prizes, including an autographed Ticats jersey or a $250 gift card to the Ticats shop. Go on the road with the Ticats to Ottawa with Journey Rewards. Rick, you get the first shot at this one. And I don't think we have talked about this all season long, but it bears discussion. Your thoughts on the officiating in the Canadian Football League. And there's an individual that I, 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 I'm shocked. I, I, I listen to all the brought Morley. I listen, Glenn, I listen to all you guys on internet radio. And at some point or other, the word or name Andre Pru keeps coming up. We don't maybe need, maybe need to center on him, Rick, but your thoughts on the officiating in 2022. Well, it's a name that is slowly but surely challenging uh, Jake Ireland, who was mentioned, I can't, I, I've lost count over the years on the fifth quarter and how many times that name was brought up because Ticats fans were PO'd on some call or non-call or replay that should have gone their way or penalty that should or shouldn't have been called. You know, I used to be a referee in soccer, and it is the most thankless job on the planet because no matter who wins and who loses, eight times, nine times out of ten, it's the referee's fault. You know, the referee didn't make a call or made a blunder or whatnot. Uh, and this is why we're losing young referees in, in virtually every sport. They, you know, they, and I, I, I know why they don't, they don't want to be exposed to this kind of pressure from coaches and players and fans and parents and, and, you know, uh, you know, everybody else in between. But at the end of the day, the answer to this question is yes, the CFL needs better officiating because ultimately it will lead to a better product on the field. Uh, and not necessarily just to make the fans happy that their team has won or lost. But I think when you don't, when you don't realize there's referees on the field, even though we know they're there, it, it just lends to a much smoother game, a much more enjoyable entertainment product. At the end of the day, that's what football is. I think as a viewer, whether you're in the stadium or you're at home watching on TV or listening to it on the radio, it's just that much more enjoyable because there's not those starts and stops. There's not those controversial moments when they're getting it right. It, what the answer is to get to that point, I'm not sure other than you know, bringing in a new, a new crop of referees from the collegiate level, the U sports level, and make sure that they're better than the previous crop. It's extremely hard to do being in that game for many years. But uh, hey, I wish the CFL the best of luck. Glenn, the game you, one of the games you did this weekend uh, it was the BC Lions and the Ottawa game. And the game was sort of not really, I mean, I guess it was in question somewhat going, I believe, the third quarter. And mm. there was a misconduct foul which i kind of thought was ticky tack that continued to drive inside the score zone i think brought bc to the five yard line and they scored on the very next play and some would suggest that the misconduct call was pretty ticky tack as it was a push for a push mm-hmm. um and it was called by andre proof uh, you, you, your thoughts i don't know if you remember that exact play or that situation your thoughts sir yeah yeah i do uh, you know the last couple of uh, weeks there's been games where i you know, basically said on the broadcast that I felt the officials just had bad games and, um, you know, they're, they're human too. So they will have bad games like the players, like the coaches, like broadcasters. Um, but, you know, I, I think first of all, to Rick's point, 
that it's such a difficult job. I think the Canadian Football League and some of our kicking rules makes it that much more difficult than maybe any sport on the planet to officiate. And I think our guys are good officials. I really do. Um, my my concern with it is this narrative in the offseason that we needed to improve game flow and that game flow was somehow tied to the Canadian ratio was the narrative that I heard throughout the offseason from the league office and a lot of other people. And that has nothing to do, neither does the hash marks on game flow. Game flow is tied directly to officiating. And if you have 25 penalties in a game, you have zero game flow. So it's, you know, it's, it's a combined responsibility of the teams, the rules committee, and the approach. And, you know, to be part of the solution rather than just, you know, always complaining about officiating, I think we have to allocate, the league office has to allocate twice the money to officiating, not because it'll make the current guys better, because if that's the case, then they've been holding out on us, and that's not right. But <laughs> it's 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 to give them more resources, allow the head officials to actually do it as their primary job, possibly. If we could get to that, think of the of the competition that would be created from a whole bunch of graduating youth sport football players, men and women, who would then say this could be my career to stay in football as an official. And in those new recruitment camps, rather than have 20 guys of potential new officials, maybe you have 100. Um, so I, I think that would take time. And in the short term, again, part of the solution, not part of just complaining about it. I, you know, I, I just wanna look at the approach if an official throws a flag, he has he has changed the game. And you better have a penalty. The ticky-tack problem has got to go away. Let, let the men on the field who are, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way to officials. I, I mean it that these guys are playing for their livelihoods. Let them decide the outcome of a play. If they cheat to a point where you have to throw your flag, then throw it. But if you're looking and you're saying, well, within the, you know, the, the, the rule book, and if I interpret it a certain way, that one could have been a penalty, so I am throwing my foot. No, none of that ticky-tack stuff, because that affects game flow and the presentation of the product. So that, you know, <laughs> I know that was a long rant, but no. uh, I think they're great. I just, I think we need to change the philosophy and, and allocate more refund or, or uh, resources. You know, Morley, it's funny because, you know, I look at the box scores of all games and I know I've seen it with, with you know, the Elks. I've seen it with the Ticats. Sometimes, you know, 13 penalties, 17 penalties. Oh. And I've got to, you know, we talk about, you know, and we do, we talk about pace of the game. And I can't believe sometimes that, you know, of those 13 or 15 or 17 flags that were thrown, and many of them accepted, that... Um, that's just the way to go. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, it's come to the point, you know, when I'm doing a game, and there'll be a great play. And whether it's a great offensive play with a catch or a great defensive play with a knockdown, it's before you get too excited about it, you got to, you know, you got to look at the field to see if there's any, any uh, flags up because you want to make sure it's actually a play. And it, it's just, it just happens too much. And Glenn hit the nail on the head, I think. Uh, the ticky-tacky calls have to go. It really has hit me this season watching NFL games this year. I kind of 
kind of took note of it a little bit. The, the biggest difference you see when you watch in an NFL game with the flow is they don't call as many penalties, not near as many penalties. You can see a play, a ball goes in the end zone, and there's a receiver and a DB fighting over, you know, doing the hand fighting and getting into position and everything. And, you you know, it's caught or it's not caught, but there's no flag. And you go, see a foul, there'd be flags all over the place for that call. And that's exactly what Glenn was talking about. Let the guys decide. And if, if a guy grabs a guy and pulls his arm away from making a catch, then you got to call it. But if they're just, if they're just playing rock, paper, scissors, as they go down the field, I mean, you can't, you got to stop calling those little ticky tacky things. And I think that's the issue. And as, as far as, you know, you brought up Andre Pru. uh, First off, Andre Pru is great radio. I love it when he referees games that we're doing because when he turns the mic on, it's absolutely gold. Uh, but he's not the only guy throwing flags out there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other officials are throwing flags too. It's not just on one guy. And the officiating has to be better in the CFL. But it's not just Andre Pru or Al Bradbury or whoever you want to point to. Everybody's got to get better, and and they have to improve. And the CFL, it's to me, it's on the CFL to find a way to improve it. And, and again, Glenn said it, you know, more resources, better training, give the guy a chance instead of the, you know, throwing, you know, reffing games on a Friday and a Saturday and then going to his normal job on Monday and then going back, give him a chance to uh, go to the office and watch the film and, and look at it, study it and talk to someone and say, Hey, what could I have done better here? Have, have someone in place at the league office that can actually help these guys coach them and instruct them on how they want the game to be refereed and say, yeah, you probably didn't need to throw one there. You should have thrown one there, whatever the case may be. And I don't know how much instruction and how much help uh, the officials get, but it seems to me they're all working 40 week, uh, 40 hours a week as well. So there's not enough time in their lives to probably put that, that work into, into studying film and to getting better. I'm sure some do to a certain extent, but you know, they got to have more time. Rick, you know, but based on a nine-team league and the finances of the league, is, is this realistic? You think to be able? Well, to do I that? think yeah, I, I think the league has to make a commitment to it, right? Because this is greatly impacting the game, the flow of the game, the entertainment factor. When when fans are complaining, not necessarily about the outcome of the flag, but that the game is greatly slowed down. Uh, you know, there's too many of them. You know, Morley mentioned the NFL. It's it's extremely rare that an NFL NFL team will have double digit penalties in a game. Like, extremely rare, and I'm not kidding with that. Um, but with the CFL, for some reason, it, it's it's commonplace to have 10, 11, 13, 14 penalties for over 100 yards. We've seen many Ticats games this season where both teams have had double-digit penalties and triple-digit in terms of yardage. Um, And here's, I'm speaking from ignorance here, but in terms of the evaluation process, I know, you know, after the season or leading up to the season, there's, you know, a a meeting, a series of meetings, um, whether it's Zoom calls or in person, where officials will get together, discuss, you know, certain plays and how they would have called it different. That evaluation process is certainly there but is that happening on a week-to-week basis in the Canadian Football League? I'm not sure. It happens for teams and players and coaches. For officials, I'm not 100% sure. And if it's not, maybe that's something to look at. Yeah, you talk, we talked about how important the officials are and what kind of a role they play in the game and how they can change the outcome of the game sometimes. They're the only guys in the field who aren't full-time employees. It yeah. doesn't make sense. And they do get evaluated, guys, on a weekly basis. And and uh, so they will uh, – I've talked to Darren Hackwood about this, the head of officiating, and uh, they will actually be scored. So if, you know, if, if they have a bad game, they can they can actually lose the next assignment the next week if, you know, it's two bad games in a row or whatever the, the threshold is. 
but they are they are evaluated every week and they are sent videos of every single <clears throat> excuse me every single um call that they've made and some that they've missed again uh, the coaches are responsible here too because the coaches are sending video of missed penalties. <laughs> I I talk to every coach in these zooms every week, going, please do not send the the league <laughs> copies of missed penalties. We don't need any more. And and to Rick's point about the NFL, I watch it very closely all the time for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is officiating and the speed by which they call a penalty night and day faster than than we're getting it done. That can improve. We can improve in a big, big way. And there will be times for penalties between both teams all game long. And if you watch the O-line, just focus on the O-line. They're committing a, a certain level of foul every play in the NFL. They're not throwing flags for all of those. That's the difference, and we've got to get to that. Well, I could say that, and, and just in, in kind of to turn that around, it looks like to me, and I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm maybe being a little picky here, but that waggle, like there's guys that, in my opinion, that are sometimes four and five yards offside, and I feel like to get away with it, Rick. Yeah, and uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, do we want that called every time? What if the ball's not going to that particular player, or that particular player is not, you know, not on the the, the half of the field where the ball is thrown to and the play is made, and and not necessarily downfield blocking? So, do we have to throw the flag? You know, that's that's a pretty bang bang call. I think we've seen, and you know, many times at, at every stadium in this league, that particular play not being flagged, and sometimes I'm I'm okay with it. If there's a if there's an infraction that leads to points, and that infraction is not called, okay, now we have an issue. But if it's a hold on the line or something's happened that is very far from the play, I'm not necessarily sure it it should always always be called. But at the end of the day. When that official's on the field and he has a responsible a responsibility in terms of whether he's looking at the line or the DBs or the receivers, whatever the case is, or on the line of scrimmage, they're supremely focused on what is happening on that play. So to, to wait and not throw the flag, to maybe make sure the play is not impacted in, in terms of points is, is very difficult. So they got to find a place. Uh, there's never going to be a perfect you know scenario in which the, the flag is thrown or not. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we can all agree that this this scenario has to get a lot better. Glenn, from a TV standpoint, I, I mean, I don't know how much TSN has to say with this. I mean, you could just help us out here with this. Um, they want to put together a good product. And yeah. is that something that the TSN or even the broadcasters uh, have to say to, you know, the Canadian Football League that we need this improved? Yeah. And, you know, I think we are working behind the scenes at making it more efficient. And because the with with replay as well, we're completely tied into that. So the coaches need to see replays as quickly as they possibly can to, to decide whether or not they want to challenge a certain play. And so that, you know, we're we're kind of working together to try and make sure that happens quickly. But when you see what the, the frustrating part for me in a lot of ways in the entertainment angle is when you see a, an Andre Prue, for instance, standing in the middle of the field, coming out of a commercial break where we've given them now three minutes to get this straight. And now we throw to them, basically, basically we're saying Andre's mic is open. He can make the announcement go. And then Andre takes another minute to walk to center field and we're watching him and we're waiting and we're waiting 
And that 30 seconds feels like five minutes when you're trying to entertain and keep a crowd engaged in a football game. So that has got to be improved upon. I mean, we, you know, you, you notice when the flag comes out in the National Football League, the ref is making the announcement almost five, six, ten seconds later. The game barely even is disrupted. They move the ball without us watching them move the ball. And we start again. And you're just talking about the quarterback right away. So it's – Darren Hackwood does a fantastic job, and he's open to discussions all the time. And, guys, if you if you ever want to just email him and, and talk to him about anything that they do, he's, he's always great. Um, and, you know, we're working together trying to make it better. But more resources. It, they need more resources, more competition, uh, and, and just a different philosophical approach, I think. Guys in the stripes, we love you. Yes. <laughs> we, we hate you. We do. We, I mean, actually, maybe hate's a strong word, but we get angry with you, but we love you very much. <laughs> and, and certainly all the work that you put together to make our great game even greater. So let's, uh, let's come together on this. Hey, guys, thank you so much for coming together. Glenn Suter, Rick Zamperin, Morley Scott. Fantastic uh, insight and opinion. And it's certainly what we want on the CFL this week. Rick Zamperin, where do we find you if our lovely fan base want to chat with you? Hey, go to Twitter at Rick Zamprin. You can check me out online. Uh, just uh, Google Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML weekday mornings, 530 to 9. Uh, talking Hamilton news, sports and everything in between. Morley? Uh, you can find me on the uh, on the socials at Morley underscore Scott. And uh, if you want to listen to 630 Chet, it's on the Internet. Do sports there all morning long and, uh, and uh, the Elks games as well. Three, maybe more left. Probably three, but yeah, that's, that's where we say. <laughs> hey, more it's funny because you know what? I've, I've utilized that uh, that uh, internet, this internet, to listen to games all around the league this morning. And you do you do a great job, so to so keep it up. And, and uh, hey, let's look forward to the Elks being a much better club. Glad Thank you. Where Appreciate do we find that. you? Uh, yeah, I'll be in Hamilton. I a few, very few times uh, throughout the season, I get a regular season game all the way out east. But I will be in Hamilton for the Sask uh, Ticat game. Can't wait. Game of the week, super important for both teams. And then Winnipeg on the way back, Edmonton and Winnipeg. So I'll be that'll be my second game of uh, of the weekend. Well, see if you can come join us and uh, visit and our, our little Ticat setup on the Ticat Audio Network. We'd really appreciate. it. It's great to see you and thanks uh, for joining us. Thank hey you, folks! Bob. Hey folks! Again, you know we're here every Monday for you to talk to the CFL, the most controversial, up-to-date topics. It is the CFL this week, of course. The, the name of the title of the show. You can find us on the internet, uh, certainly on YouTube. Like, subscribe, uh, keep following on uh, all the socials as well. And of course, if you're, if, uh, you're looking towards more the podcast way, we're on all the podcast catchers. So uh, certainly have a check in, and uh, if you've just joined us for the first time. Why don't you hang on for a little bit? Anyway, this has been the CFL This Week. I'm your host, Bubba O'Neill, and it's always available on the Ticats Audio Network. The CFL This Week with Bubba O'Neill. Subscribe, like, and get the deepest takes on Canada's game every Monday.